Welcome to the Illuminations Media Network. And welcome back to Solutions Beyond Limits. I'm Tamara, your host. And of course, as always, we have a fabulous show for you. Tonight, we have the author of The Return of the Golden Age, Edward Malkowski. And he is here to share some fascinating information. He is a researcher and, of course, an author. He's all about history, civilization, the rise and the fall of those civilizations, religion, and all kinds of deep subjects that we just love here on Solutions Radio. But we'll be right back with Edward after this brief message. Looking for real change in your life? Look no further than Gaim TV's spiritual growth. For human consciousness to evolve, the conversation must deepen. A streaming media service to explore spirituality and personal growth that you can access anytime, anywhere. You realize it's something that organically unfolds from the field of your own being. And I think that makes people switch from sort of focusing on what don't I have to what do I have. With original programming, uplifting films, and exclusive interviews with modern spiritual leaders. Everyone has a capacity for genius in some area of their life. Everyone has a powerful destiny. So when people think that this is it, this physical world is all there is, they're very, very wrong. We're living a very limited life. Gaim TV offers the tools to help you be a better you. Gaim TV, spiritual growth. And we're back. You're listening to Solutions Beyond Limits. And we're speaking with Edward Malkowski about his wonderful new book entitled Return of the Golden Age. Welcome to the show, Edward. Hi, Tamara, and thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, excellent. Well, here on Solutions, the family loves to hear all about these mysterious things. We like to go beyond uh, the agreed-upon stories, if you know what I mean. So before we go into your fantastic book, I just want to hear a bit about you and about the passion and where did all of this come from? Because there is indeed a deep passion for mystery. Well, it, it actually, it's kind of a lifelong, lifelong process. You know, you're, you're a child and everything is wonderful and beautiful. And then you grow up and you find out about girls and music and you get into high school. And uh, when I was in high school, late high school, like everyone else, or like most everyone else, I, you know, just had this thing in my head that's, that's saying, why are things the way they are? Why is society like it is? Why do we do the things we do? And, and that was a historical passion going even all the way back to, to my early grade school with World War II, the history of World War II, then in junior high. It was uh, the history of the Civil War in America. And then when I got into college, it became more of a, of a history of the world. You know, where did religion come from? Why do we have politics? What's going on in the world? And, and religion didn't satisfy me very much in the late 70s and early 80s. Uh, science took me a little bit further, but it, it still really didn't wet my whistle on why things are the way they are. 
So I started to delve into history on my own, and I've been doing this. I've been writing books for the past 12 years and been studying history for the past 20 years. That's fantastic. Now, you, like me, have had a deep fascination for the Bible. I remember in high school, I actually took lunchtime. Uh, there were five of us, and we would sit under a tree, and we would try to decipher those scriptures. <laughs> that's caused lots of wars <laughs> oh boy it was yeah. really it was quite a time it was quite a time now you've written books about uh, about the, the Bible you know your first book was entitled Sons of God Daughters of Men Genesis A Clash of Cultures wow that's an inspired writing I would right. love to <laughs> to get a hold of that book as well. What I was trying to do there, and that, that was my first book back in 2002, 2003, what I was trying to do there is I, I was trying to find some real history in the first 10 chapters of Genesis. So what I was doing, I was trying to overlap anthropology, archaeology, along with the written text of the Bible and, and kind of demythetize the Bible and, and see what I can see what actually really happened. And uh, I found some answers there, and it's a really good book. Well, I can't wait to get a hold to it. Now, it looks like you made a connection to the megalithic monuments of Egypt, the Old Kingdom. What was that connection there for you? Well, uh, that connection there was, well, the, the pyramids are... The, the seventh wonder of the ancient world, and, and actually today they, they still are the wonder of the world period. And uh, it, it just was, it was a mystery to me how a primitive people or a so-called primitive people could build such wondrous structures. And uh, back in 2007, I spent, spent a month over there uh, with Chris Dunn and went to all the sites in, in Lower Egypt and verified absolutely what I had been thinking and what a whole lot of other people were thinking, is there's machine tool marks on these monuments out in plain sight. So it's very obvious to me, and any machinist or engineer that goes over there and actually looks at the evidence itself will see that these structures and monuments, which are made, a lot of them are made of, of granite, which is the hardest known rock there is. Uh, it was not made by hand. It was not made by copper chisels and, and hammer stones. I mean, they had some type of powered equipment to, to actually con construct those, those structures. There's really, there's really no doubt about it. Uh, even my, uh, brother-in-law's brother, who was a nuclear physicist and engineer, uh, he had watched a lot of the Egyptian shows and just talking to him about it. And he, he doesn't study Egypt or anything like that. He's a nuclear engineer, and that's really all he does. But just talking to him in passing about Egypt and all these documentaries you see on TV, he says, you know, Ed, I've always known those structures could never have been built by hand. So that was the beginning of my fascination. But there was another fascination with that that really puts one plus one equals two. My, my idea was where, wherever you have a high-technology civilization, 
you will also find a civilization that has high philosophy. Yes. Now, right. So, so you know, the standard official textbook idea of ancient Egyptian religion is that they worship animals and they worship nature. Well, after looking into that for, oh, I still look into it now for the past 10 years, it's just very clear to me that their so-called mythologies and their gods was not a religion of worshiping animals, but it was actually a scientific language playing nature and the lives they experience. And if you look into it really deeply, it makes a whole lot of sense. It's just the, the problem is language. Their language it was so different and so differently used than we use language today that, you know, the 19th and early 20th century academics who were looking at it, they made, the, you know, the easiest assumption to make that it was all religion, but it's not. Well, they didn't separate. Everything was spirituality. Science. That's correct. That's correct, right? yeah. Religion, yeah. it was one. That's absolutely correct. Well, you went on to write two more books on this adventure before the pharaohs, Egypt's mysterious prehistory, and the spiritual technology of ancient Egypt, sacred science, and the mystery of consciousness. Uh, before the pharaohs, uh, I had met John Anthony West when I was doing Sons of God, Daughters of Men, and we swapped emails a bunch. And uh, I just got really inspired uh, from John Anthony West and the story of him and, and Dr. Robert Schock about, about the redating of the Sphinx. They redated the Sphinx back in, back in 1991. Uh, Schock wrote a couple articles on it, but no book ever came out about it. So I just got inspired and decided to write a book kind of explaining the whole redating of the Sphinx in, in 1991. And, you know, I put in my own two cents, three cents uh, to make a book out of it. Um, then the next one is spiritual technology. Uh, that, that gets really deep into the philosophy of ancient Egypt and how it's not a primitive religion, but that it's, it's more of a scientific language. Right. Well, you know, John Anthony West, uh, recognized that there was water around the Sphinx. And they've also found that there was water around the pyramids. And uh, you write in your book, The Return of the Golden Age, um, about why would these people move from, from a lush and green fertile land to this dry desert, which is now Egypt. But all of that research points to the fact that Egypt was green and lush and right. fertile, and there was lots of water. Can you go right. into that, please? Uh, well, it's 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 the same it's, it's the same idea of of uh, the the Inuit people that live in Siberia and Alaska. Why would why would anyone move from from a warm climate into a cold climate? Why would people move from a lush green climate into, into a, a desert climate? Well, the fact is they wouldn't. And something drastic happened to our planet some 10 to 12,000 years ago. So we're talking about a calamity here that decimated civilization, changed the climate, and probably changed the face of the world, and maybe even changed the orbit of the planet. Right. Now, what do you feel about this idea of the Great Flood 
and that ice age. What's the connection for you and your research? There seems to be a great divide, and this, this divide seems to exist in every discipline. Uh, if you look at the Bible, the Bible has a differentiation between the antediluvian world and the world of today. Okay? Archaeology kind of has the same thing. Archaeology talks about the Holocene, which is the past 12,000 years, and that's separated by a barrier from the Pleistocene. Geology does the same thing. So all these disciplines know that there was this event of some sort that separates sort of prehistoric times from historic times. And, <clears throat> excuse me, the Bible calls it a flood, okay? That's been a huge controversy because archaeology and geology has had a hard time of proving a global flood. There's been plenty of regional floods, and there's been plenty of really bad regional floods. Uh, North America experienced some of the worst flooding at the end of the Ice Age because the polar cap melted and caused uh, uh, great floods throughout North America. Actually, the ancient, the ancient Indians who actually lived here at the time recorded some of those floods. So the whole idea of flooding happening isn't really a mystery. It's just that the mystery is... There, there seems to be no global flood. So in my research, uh, researching this global flood, I began with the, the biblical story. And, it, and it's, it's just no big secret either that uh, in the early part of the 20th century that archaeologists uncovered uh, in, in uh, ancient Samaria tablets explaining much more in depth the story of the Great Flood, which is the Epic of Gilgamesh. And it's just very clear from a literary basis that the story of Gilgamesh is actually the precursor and the origin of the biblical flood story. So looking at the story of Gilgamesh over and over and over and, and trying to piece it together, the first problem is who are the gods? What's the story really talking about? What's the whole context of the story? And the story of Gilgamesh involves Ishtar, which is Venus. It involves Umbaba, which is actually Mercury, okay? And it also involves the main character himself, Gilgamesh. Now, what's strange about Gilgamesh is he's only half-human. He's half-human, and he's half-god. But his good friend Enkidu is actually totally mortal. And to make a long story short, because I could go on for this for a very, very long time, to make, to make a long story short, the story of Gilgamesh is talking about a flood, but that flood is not a terrestrial flood. It's a celestial flood. Okay. okay, and this is this is this is an old ancient way of explaining the sky in ancient times. If a constellation fell below the equator, it, it fell from sight, out of sight. 
it was said that the constellation had fallen beneath the waters. So using that same idea of the whole concept of a flood in Gilgamesh is a celestial flood. So then the question is, what do they mean by celestial flood? Well, they mean that the earth was flooded by something from space. In other words, the catastrophe was not a, was not a terrestrial catastrophe per se. That was not the origin, but that the origin of the flood was celestial. And that's where we have our match with archaeology and, and, and geology and, and history, is that this catastrophe 12,000 years ago, and we know what happened because 45% of all mammalian species went extinct at that time. They absolutely were sure it happened. We just don't know exactly what happened. A number of people have done, uh, have written, written books on this, uh, people who are more experts in the area of geology and astronomy and archaeology than I am. And there's like three or four really good books. And some of them are different, different theories in general, but the main agreement of most of the researchers in this area is that it was a celestial catastrophe. My favorite one that fits the, that fits the mythology the best is that 12,000 years ago, a star in the nearby, const- nearby constellation of Vela went type 2 supernova and shot a planet-sized ball of plasma, extremely hot gas, we're talking millions and millions of degrees, through our solar system. And this hot ball of, of gas came next to Earth, swept by Earth, and spewed in debris and dust and dismantled our planet. Uh, that matches up almost identically with a Phaeton and the Chariot of the Sun out of Greek mythology. That's kind of my take on it. And, and because of this uh, celestial flood, and, and certainly there were changes that really affected the Earth because of the species dying out at that time, do you think that's what created a, a, a marked change in the temperature, and then here we had an ice age? Uh, definitely. There's, there's no question about that. Uh, I'm not sure that, that a so-called ice age actually existed. Uh, I think the possibility exists that what used to be the polar cap is where, uh, North America is now and that, and that our planet actually changed its position because of this giant ball of of high gas moving through our solar system. I see. And so in your studies, you know, we, we talk about uh, certainly that the Yugas uh, from the, the ancient Indian belief, and right. we talk about, you talk about our golden age, and you know, the Yugas speak about the, the rise and fall of civilization, and you believe that we are returning to a golden age. Do we first have to have a catastrophe no, I don't, I, I don't think we do. Uh, I think the totality of history uh, is actually a trying to get back to a golden age. Right. Be- because, because if you look at history, 
Our history actually begins about 5,000 years ago. And it starts out, the cradle of civilization is actually Mesopotamia. And Mesopotamia was all about war. You had one city-state battling another city-state for control. After a 1,000 years, finally the Akkadians conquered the entire region and forged the first empire. But then, it, but then it becomes a whole string of, of empires in the West. Uh, after that, you have the Babylonians taking over with the empire. Then you have the Persians taking over with the empire. Then you have the Greeks taking over with the empire. Then coming around uh, the common era, you have the Romans taking over with an empire. And then after them, you have the Ottoman Empire that's kind of a little bit more to the east. But then you have the British Empire. And now, basically, today, what we have is an Anglo-American economic empire that controls, uh, essentially, for the six habitable continents of the planet. So, what do these kingdoms and, and empires, what are they trying to do? I mean, we, we talk about it in our history classes. It's in all the history books. They, they basically just state facts. Well, this kingdom conquered this kingdom, made this empire, and so on and so forth. But to, to, to think of it more philosophically, as, 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 a, as a philosopher of history, what's the whole concept of a kingdom to begin with? Well, for a few people, for the king and for his nobility, for the most part, it's a golden age. They get whatever they want and have whatever they want, provided by the people beneath them. And... When you start tracking history, you, you, you start seeing a pattern where this whole concept of, of a rulers and, and a people living the good life, living the golden age, uh, that concept seems to grow. And I, I find it really, really ironic. Uh, we are living in really, really strange times right now. Uh, the whole 20th century was, was about war. Now there doesn't seem to be any more enemies. Uh, you know, you have the youth of today looking for something uh, within the Christian community. The youth are actually questioning Christian doctrine. That they're actually getting away from the idea of eternal damnation, and they're moving in a very Gnostic direction. There, there's this movement among the youth in, in the Christian community called the, the Emerging Church or the Emergent Church. Uh, it's very, very different than, than, it, than, it, than it was previously. Here I'm talking about Christianity. But besides that, you have, you have spirituality is going on, too. Uh, Forty years ago, you'd walk into a bookstore, you would find very few books on, on the occult, spirituality, uh, paranormal, and stuff like that. Now when you go into a bookstore or when you go online, uh, those books are commonplace. When you look at our, our culture in general, when you start looking at television and movies, uh, there's been so many movies in the past, 20 years, 30 years, just to name a few, They Live, The Matrix, The Sixth Sense, Cloud Atlas, Hereafter. There's, there's this big surge in movies that are based on spirituality, you know? Right. Uh, you know, then you have the ancient alien stuff going on. That's been going on for, for 30 years now. Uh, you had The X-Files during the 90s was, was, was a huge hit. So, you know, and, you know, if you look out on the economic front today, there seems to be this great disparity of wealth uh, between the wealthy and everyone else, and it's big as it is ever. 
and and the youth of today uh, seem to have this protest mentality. And in essence, I think they're crying out and saying, "Hey, society, all of society, everywhere, is kind of in trouble." So. In 1989, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, the then premier of uh, the Soviet Union, wrote a book called Perestroika. And at the very end of his book, he said that he believed that the United States and the Soviet Union could forge a golden age, not just for those two countries, but for the world. And just two years after that... Pardon? Interesting. Yeah, and just and, and just two years after that, we have the first Gulf War, and at the very end of the fourth, first Gulf War, we have President uh, George H. W. Bush uh, speaking to the nation, nation announcing a new world order, a new world order where you've got freedom and everything's governed by law and and peace. So, so I see that the leaders of countries having the idea about bringing, bringing, bringing a golden age to the planet. So now you're speaking about history and you're connecting it with present day. Um, that old adage that history repeats itself. What's the meaning in that? Is it just? kind of happening, or is it a cycle that seems to repeat? Well, it, uh, if you would believe the, the, the Hindus and the Yuga cycle, it's an, it's an absolute cycle. Uh, and I have a tendency to, to, to lean that way. Uh, <clears throat> what, what a lot of people do is, is, is kind of forget that, that we human beings are actually part of nature. Yeah. You know, this is, this is into the Christian doctrine that, you know, nature and the human experience is absolutely separate. They really have nothing to do with each other. Uh, but both you and I know that that's not the case, that the human, the human body and the human experience is actually part of nature. And if you look at nature, nature itself is cyclical. Everything is cyclical. That's right. Everything has its cycle. Everything has its cycle. So, you know, it's, of course, it's speculation because there's no way for us to know, but it seems very reasonable to me that history in a very general way actually does repeat itself. And we were in a golden age in the past, 12,000 years ago and before, and decimation hit our planet, and we're, we are working ourselves back to that golden age. Right. Now, these people who are on the world stage, politicians, you know, people, the, the Pope, uh, we have royalty, we have nations that certainly rise and fall. Are these people aware that they are part of this, or, or are they just being inclined and pulled by, by this energy of time? I don't think... Well, no, it's, that's, that's, I think some of them do. I don't think all of our leaders understand that the entire world is moving to a golden age, but I think some of them do, and, and they have hinted at that. Uh, for example, Zbigniew Brezhnev, uh, 
mentioned in, in the conference in 2012 in Montreal for the Council on Foreign Relations, he actually mentioned and said that uh, we are entering a new time that people everywhere are waking up to the political realities of the world. They know about corruption and exploitation and poverty, and they are actually becoming aware. And th- this is actually kind of a problem. Now, he actually said that. Uh, the quote is actually in my book somewhere. He actually said that, so some of them actually do, I think. That's fascinating to, to think about where uh, they would get that information from. And so that concludes our conversation with Edward Malkowski about the return of the golden age. I hope it inspires you to pick up the book and read and do your own research. Tune in next week for an Illuminations Media Network conversation with author Dr. Drayvon Jones about her new book, Rx for a Damaged Relationship. This is Tamara, your host, leaving you with the musical inspiration intended to motivate you to open up your mind to higher consciousness with Jerome Carter's Your Third Eye. Check out Jerome at Facebook at Lyrical Time Bomb. Peace and blessings. Until next time. I can't run, I can't lie till the day that I die. I can't imagine myself without any thoughts Me being born by the same system I hate to live in I can't imagine my life without my seeds uh. I can't imagine my life without being me uh. I can't imagine if morality was built on the force Since of reality, where would the challenge be? Lyrically, I'ma be who I got to be I imagine myself with no boundaries Through this through life, I keep finding the key I just wanna be free But they just won't let me But I can still imagine being more by the dragon Everything that he owns, I have to disown Now I imagine myself being a slave So every time I get paid, he gets paid Can you imagine? The hell that's worse than what you're living uh-huh. Can you imagine the beauty yeah. of that God's beginning? Uh-huh. I can't front, I can't lie I'll be asking questions to the day that I die Come on, Come on and use your third eye and see what's beyond your sight. Uh, I can't front, I can't lie. I'll be asking questions to the day that I die. Come on, come on and use your third eye. Can you imagine a world without governments? Can you imagine your thoughts without common sense? Can you imagine if poverty didn't exist? Can you imagine being up on a red list? Can you imagine if God never existed? Can you imagine if Satan was never twisted? Can you imagine your life with no parents, no family to inherit and raise with no merits? Can you imagine criminals of no prisons, no house for you to live in, no peace, love, and understanding? Can you imagine TV with no censorship? Oh, yeah. The reality, yeah, I see it is really counterfeit. Can you imagine if we had unity in our community? No racism, just, just our humanity. Can you imagine if we all use our third eye to find out why we, we are all living a lie? I can't front, I can't lie. I'll be asking questions to the day that I die. Come on, come on, and use your third eye. And see what's beyond your sight. Uh, uh, I can't front, I can't lie. I'll be asking questions to the day that I die. Yeah, come, come on, on. use your third eye. And see what's beyond your sight.
Can you imagine be a shack on a haircut? Lost to an unknown place to work as slaves. Can you imagine if there was no minimum wage? Can you imagine working but never getting paid? Can you imagine the earth without the sun? Can you imagine violence without the guns? Can you imagine if we really owned our homes? If the American dream wasn't really a dream? Can you imagine if taxes never exist? Oh man, we all be rich instead of just one percent. Can you imagine just love with no wars, virgins with no wars, disease with no cures? Can you imagine no Wu Tang knives or KRS, no PRT, Chuck D, or common sense? Just for a second, let your mind wander, let your brain ponder. If there was no laws that govern us, let your brain spark, let your let your brain spark, let your brain spark, let your let your brain spark, let your brain spark, let your let your brain spark, let your brain spark, let your let your brain spark. Let your brain spark, let your let your brain spark. Let your brain spark, let your let your brain spark. Let your brain spark, let your let your brain spark. Let your brain spark. I can't run, I can't lie. I be asking questions to the day that I die. Come on, use your third eye. And see what's beyond your side. I can't run, I can't lie. I be asking questions to the day that I die. Come on, use your third eye. See what's beyond your side. Use your third eye. See beyond your side. I can't. I can't run. I use your third eye. I use your. I see what's beyond your side.